Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to episode number 49 of Thyroid Nation Radio Live talk show and podcast. I'm Dana Bowman, founder of ThyroidNation.com. And I'm Tiffany Milanich of GratefulGarden.biz. Today we are talking to naturopathic Dr. Jolene Brighton. Dr. Jolene Brighton is a licensed naturopathic doctor, wife, mother, and entrepreneur located in the San Francisco Bay Area. She specializes in women's health from fertility to postpartum care, adrenal and thyroid support, ding, 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 autoimmune conditions and digestive disorders as well. In her family-oriented practice, Dr. Brighton thrives on navigating the space between conventional and alternative medicine, all while working with patients to help them achieve optimum balance, wealth, and happiness. Boy, I wish she looked close by me. I think she's designed for us. This woman is designed for us. Well, we are so incredibly excited to talk with her, as you can tell. But first, a few things. Yeah, if you tuned in last week, we hope you did. You heard us chatting with the fabulous functional medicine practitioner, Dr. Will Cole. <laughs> if you missed it, you can catch it in the side. I'm sorry, I'm just uh, I'm I know. a little kooky today. Anyways, if you missed it, you can catch it in the Thyroid Nation Radio Archives as well as other fabulous guests that we've had the privilege of interviewing, Dr. Holtorf, Hypothyroid Mom, Mary Mary Showman. I am tongue-tied this morning, Susie Cohen and (laughs) Isabella Wentz. I'm really bad. (laughs) Make sure to also check out the lineup of wonderful and innovative guests we have scheduled on on the Thyroid Nation Radio page including future guests. This is just cracking me up. Tongue-tied is contagious, evidently. I know. I'm going to have to explain why this is funny. We got off schedule, and so we're having to make up shows, and so we're talking about future things that haven't really happened and past things that haven't happened. And so it's very confusing. Like this show today, we are are recording, and it is going to be the most amazing Valentine's Day show ever. But it's not Valentine's yet, so we're just a little giggly today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, well, Dana, she is with us, mm-hmm. so let's get to Thyroid Nation Thriving. I know we are going to talk about some things that we all want to talk about. Yes, we Good are. morning. Hi, ladies. How are you today? Very are good. So How good. are you? <laughs> I am doing great. Thank you. Now, you're up in Oakland, right, Dr. Brighton? I have a very complicated uh, scenario. So I have a clinic in Oakland, California, but I split my time between Oakland and Portland, Oregon. And so I live in Portland, Oregon with my my family, and I work here in Portland, and I also work in California. Oh, wow, that's fabulous. So where are you calling from today? I am right now in Portland. I'm sitting in my office looking out over my apple tree right now. Oh, very cool. Very cool. What's the weather like up there this morning? It is gloriously gray. (laughs) (laughs) That's a nice way to put that. I like that. (laughs) I absolutely love gray weather and rain and everything the Pacific Northwest has to offer. So it's a, you know, I was raised in California, born and raised there, and you'd never know it because I, I'm not a fan of the sun. I'm, I have, um, I'm opposite of people with seasonal affective disorder in the winter. I get bluesy in the summer when there's just too much sunshine. I need, <laughs> I need it to be mixed up a little bit. Wow, wow, isn't that cool? Everybody's just so different. 
That's so interesting. Dana, what's the weather like there in Costa Rica today? Well, it's beautiful. It's about 78 and sunny. <laughs> so that's pretty much <laughs> weather year-round. But I have to agree with you, Dr. Bryden. Um, I like, you know, everybody always will ask me, well, what's it like? Uh, what's the best time to come visit? You know, we're trying to plan a vacation there, and we don't want to come. When's the rainy season? When's the, you know, and, boy, that's my favorite time of year. But it's because we get a lot of sunshine in the morning. So you wake up and you have sun all day. And then when it's time to start winding down, you know, three or four, the clouds roll in. It rains and storms and it's fabulous. And then you wake up the next day and it's sunny again. But for me, I call it the green season because everything's so green and alive and beautiful. So it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, you know, I went, I've been to Costa Rica twice. I love the weather there. So oh, wow. I'll take sunshine if it's humid. You can give me 100% humidity. I'm happy. <laughs> I really <laughs> like the humidity. But I was just in Nicaragua um, in December, and it was, it was so dry there. And I, I'm with you. I like the green season when everything's so lush. And, um, and, I, and I like those rainstorms that come in. They're amazing. Oh, me too. Where were you in Costa Rica? Uh, so, uh, oh, that was that was quite some time ago. But oh, I was, okay. um, you know, down in the cloud forest. Um, went to Montezuma um, and uh, Manuel Antonio. That's the one I was trying to remember. That park, and so just kind of all over the place. You know, checking out the volcano. <laughs> yep, we love it, and we have. It's funny because we have a friend coming to visit, and um, he says. Okay, so I'm coming to visit. Um, what should I do? And then Travis and I like giggle every time some someone messages us because it's like there's so much to do. Like, how much time do you have? What are your interests? There's the volcano. There are hot springs. There's the parks. There's the beach, surfing, ziplining. What do you want to do, right? So, so we do. We like living here. We're we're lucky. We feel yeah. Very my grateful. husband's trying to talk me into moving to Nicaragua after we were there. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm like, I do love it here, but I also have a three-year-old, which I'm like, that's a little tricky. Um, so oh, you and I will have yeah. to chat later about <laughs> yes. living yes, yes, down yes. there. So I've, got, right. I've got a burning question, Dr. Brighton, especially with four kids. What is the health care system like in, in Nicaragua? I mean, uh, is it fairly good? I have no idea. That's what that's what gave me pause. Kind of scary. <laughs> When you're right. in the healthcare world, yeah, you start to you you have to start to consider those things. But yeah, I actually have no idea. We were down there for a week, and I was like, <laughs> well, let's hope nothing happens. I you know I know Costa Rica from from when I researched before has really great healthcare, but I actually have no idea what Nicaragua's like. Yeah, they do. They have we we have we have really great healthcare here, and um and the Picos have, you know, free and kids are free and it, it is really great, but it's also, you know, public and and they're not they're not as functional medicine inclined as the states quite yet. So we haven't gotten gotten that wave and uh, we really need it, just like the states, you know, in the states you really need people who are thinking outside the box and thinking alternatively and and um here there boy I can walk in and ask for any pharmacy, ask for um, an antibiotic, and they just they just hand it right over. So, wow. so yeah. So there's so there's that, right? So, but they also do have really great care. If something were to happen, that you need real, you know, doctors, medicine, cancer, whatever. You know, they have amazing hospitals and and great doctors that travel back and forth in the states and all over the world and stuff. So we do have really great care. 
I just don't think we have that look outside the box kind yet. So think outside the box, though. Dan is going to change the the thyroid care in Costa Rica. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> right trying. I'm trying. I'm <laughs> trying. Oh. Is anybody here that like uh, squiggly scratching? Yeah. Or is that just me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to see if it's me. I was trying to figure it out. Sorry, guys. Okay, there we go. Well, Nobody move. <laughs> no, don't move. Hold your breath. Nobody move. <laughs> well, I okay, personally so. I would love nobody addresses you know, in any type of death, Dr. Brighton, the subject of, you know, hormones and libido. And, and uh, so this is something that is just a really, I think is so very important and, and such a a heavy weight on so many people with uh, thyroid disorders, so many women with thyroid disorders. And who knows, maybe it, it affects the libido of men as well. But um, so I am super excited to dive in and and pick your brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. <laughs> So do you have uh, uh, a thyroid journey, thyroid story? What is your passion for, for thyroid? Is it a personal incentive or just something that you see uh, happening? Well, it did start with my own passions um, quite some time ago. When I was in my first year of medical school, I was introduced to the work of Dottis Karazian, who I think all of your listeners are probably familiar with. And I was just fascinated with thyroid hormone and the way it affected every cell in the body and how complicated it can become. I, um, I will out myself. I'm completely a nerd and I have a background in molecular nutrition. So I really like to understand the pathways and the mechanisms of things. And so thyroid was, was a perfect fit. And um, <clears throat> so I had the opportunity to study under Dr. Karazian, um, learned so much with him and got to work with wonderful, wonderful thyroid patients. And um it wasn't until, and, and I should back up and say, because I, I always get this question later, I never had a thyroid condition. My thyroid was in um, perfect health. It was checked before I ever became pregnant. I did a whole preconception program with myself um, to get my Yay. body ready a year before my son was born. Thank you. Um, and so people always ask, oh, well, did you have thyroid problems then? No, I had no antibodies. Um, my thyroid looked perfect. Everything was right where it should be. And then after the birth of my son, I started to have these, you know, slow and kind of vague symptoms start to creep in. And, you know, the, to be fair, a lot of the things mimic what, you know, what new moms experience as a whole, which is, you know, fatigue and uh, feeling really tired because you're not sleeping. But, you know, then mine started it's almost to almost hard to put your finger more. on. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. it absolutely is. But you know, it started. Mine started with okay, my son was born and I was emotional, and then it started to evolve into no. Now I'm very anxious, and then I started losing weight, which was fantastic because of course we had a baby, and now I'm losing <laughs> right. weight, and I'm happy about that. Um, and then I started having issues sleeping, and even though when when my son would go to sleep at night, I would still feel anxious and awake at night. Um, and then the symptoms started to turn to where I was fatigued, and it finally reached a point to where, at its worst, I was sleeping 15 hours a day. I was feeling depressed, not because anything was wrong with my life. I could see everything was wonderful, and I had so many things to be grateful for, and I really loved my life, but I could feel inside something was off. There was something chemically not right with me. I was gaining like weight. almost like the body takes over, right? 
Absolutely. And then, you know, and at that point, I gained weight to where I was back in my, like, early postpartum clothes, like, just had a baby because I was gaining so much weight. Having joint pain, um, you know, you, you name it. It was the list of hypothyroid symptoms. And I had my own journey in struggling with doctors. A lot of things that, you know, patients talk about in terms of, you know, I couldn't get my labs ordered or I was told I was fine. You know, I was a doctor and I was experiencing this from the patient's perspective of hearing doctors tell me, well, you're just a mom. Of course you're tired. Of course you, right. you have all this joint pain. You're a mom. You need to exercise more and sleep more and stress less. These, by the way, those are three things you should never tell a mother uh, because no. we all know that, but we can't <laughs> do it. We're trying. Um, and so, you know, it was, and it was finally at that point, I had fallen asleep at the, the kitchen table after sleeping about 15 oh, hours. Wow. My husband woke me up because the baby was crying and, you know, he turned to me and he started listing my symptoms. And he's like, something's not right. I don't care what your doctors say. Like, this isn't you. And he started listing everything. And when that moment when he mirrored everything back to me, I, I remember just sitting up and saying, oh, I have hypothyroidism. Like, that's what's wow. going on is that. I, you know, and when I look back now, and I had postpartum thyroiditis, the birth of my son triggered an autoimmune condition in me. And it was finally when I went and ordered my own lab, and I really started digging deeper. Because at this, at this point, you know, I was trying to trust my doctor, trust the process. I very much had this belief that, you know, I shouldn't doctor myself. I'm not objective enough to doctor myself, which is definitely true. You know, I'm not, I, I don't want to believe I have some horrible, horrible thing um, happening in my body. So it's always good to have that second set of eyes. But, you know, I was being met with so much opposition from my doctors that when I finally went with my intuition and, you know, ordered labs that I had been asking for and, you know, just, I, I look back and I'm just, I get really disappointed with myself in some ways of how I didn't advocate for myself. But at the same time, I have to honor that where I was at that time, which is, you know, having a low functioning thyroid and not having enough thyroid hormone, it was, it was hard enough for me just to do my day-to-day -day activities, let alone having to really take the reins and try to figure out what was going on with my health. But once I figured out, you know, what was happening, I was able to then start to make the necessary corrections. You know, I'd been supporting my adrenals and doing, doing all these things that I knew to do in the postpartum period. But I was at a point where I needed thyroid hormone and there was no amount of nutrients or stress reduction or sleep that was going to change the fact that my thyroid, my thyroid needed help and my body needed right. this essential hormone. So, you know, I, it, was a, it was a very hard path for me to walk um, and very humbling in a lot of ways. But I also, you know, I'm forever grateful to it because not only did I get to experience what a patient goes through and now I get to have this, this really great understanding of what that feels like. Uh, it's one thing to understand as a doctor, like, yes, I can, I can understand your, your story, but to really fill and to really have been there, it's really changed and shaped the way that I practice medicine now. And it's made me be a lot more outspoken about the ways that we're failing our, our moms, especially new moms, um, in, in helping care for them and providing them the necessary tools and resources. But even more importantly, just our respect as clinicians to listen and to hear their story. Because being a mom is not a diagnosis. And that's not something that any woman should ever settle <laughs> so for. I love that's that. So true. 
Right. You know, people, I think what makes, you know, thyroid disorder, especially in the very beginning, you know, almost kind of scary is because people almost accept a new normal, you know, okay. And especially, you know, over 40 or, you know, oh, I'm just getting older or, you know, um, you know, I'm not as active as I used to be or like that we make excuses to justify how we feel rather than saying, wow, something is, is really wrong. We sort of accept this new new type of normal, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, scary. And it can be even harder when, when it's such a slow progression, like hypothyroidism. Right. For the majority of people, it isn't just, oh, you're hypothyroid overnight. It's this, this slow evolution of symptoms that, you know, initially in autoimmunity, I call it the disease you can't name, which is always the best place if we can get people at the place where we, we can't even name it. We know something's happening, right. so let's, let's work on that now. But, you know, these things just, they just creep into your life. And it does, if you're exactly right, it does become the new normal where you think, well, this is, this is just the way um, it is. And we make excuses for ourselves like, oh, I'm getting old. Also not a diagnosis. Um, (laughs) And it's so easy to just let, let that become the new norm. So I love that you say that. Yeah. It's, it's kind of scary, you know, I think it's scary. <laughs> I mean, and it I does creep least. up, you know. For me, I really didn't, you know, I didn't really address it until it was like the elephant in the room, you know, because I felt mm-hmm. like, you know, I had just come out of taking care of my mom. I had just had my, my fourth child, and, you know, it just kind of creeps up on you, and you think, oh, it's, this is just, you know, like you said, it creeps up on you, and then all of a sudden you're like, wow, you know, okay, so I'm sitting at my desk for 12 hours because I can't get up, you know, Mm-hmm. that motivation to get up or, you know, to think about making dinner is an overwhelming type of thought, task. You know, I look at how I feel now and how I feel then, and I'm like, oh, my God, you know, that's so scary. And, and I wish that I had, I don't want to say addressed it earlier or realized something, you know, was just blaringly wrong, but I think that's why talking about thyroid disease and and you know, making it more prevalent and, and describing to people what subclinical is or when there's nutrient deficiencies that can, you know, mimic all that. I think it's so important for, you know, people to hear it and then they go, oh, wow, so maybe something is wrong. Maybe I'm not just, you know, and then, could, then we can deal with depression when if you go to a doctor in that subclinical phase and the thyroid is still normal, they say, oh, you're just depressed, let's go on antidepressants. No, no, I'm not depressed. I mean, I can't tell you how many times and how many people that, that Dana and I have spoken to, Dr. Brighton, where antidepressants were dispensed, and they're like, no, I'm not depressed. You know, I'm, I'm, you know like you said, I can see my, all the things I have to be grateful for. I'm just lacking the energy to go and enjoy it, like to, to articulate that to your doctor, you know, when they just look at you as lack of motivation and automatically shovel it off as being depression. It's it's scary. You know, you wonder how many people are on antidepressive medications or anti-anxiety medications that are in that subclinical thyroid situation and, and where thyroid hormone or, you know, support to the body could change that rather than be on a medication that, that actually can make things, you know, significantly worse, you know. Um, and that's why we do this, right? That's why we pipe up about all this. Yeah, <laughs> so I knows. mean, that's such a... <laughs> I love that you say that. So, 
at the top of my Twitter feed, I actually have it pinned that, um, and it's exactly that point, to stop treating women's hormonal simple, symptoms as psychiatric disorders. But I could scream that I, that I actually posted that tweet on a day where it was the third woman I had in my office telling me that her doctor said, there's nothing wrong with you. However, you need to take this antidepressant. And this woman, she, she actually, her story, it was just so sad. She only had depression half of the month. It was very much tied to what was going on with her progesterone levels. But her doctor actually gave her this whole story about how she wasn't being a good mother or a good no, wife and not, oh not taking this pharmaceutical because this was going to change everything. And it is days, and, and my my team knows that I work with, there are days that I just come in and I'm like, okay, I, I just want to scream and vent right now because I can't be stories of women being so mistreated in their health care. And, and look, I'm not, I don't want to diss conventional medicine at all. They, they've got their places where they absolutely thrive. And, and like you were saying before, you know, if you get in a car accident, things like that, it's great to have them there. They, they do a wonderful job with those kinds of situations. But, you know, in these situations where you know, a woman, yeah, she's feeling a little bluesy part of the month. I mean, our mood is so tied into where our hormones are. I get that that's what's in their toolkit. That's their resources. Conventional docs, they, they've got, they can name it and they can give it a pharmaceutical. So we don't right. want to diss them for that because that's, that's their space. That's where they work. But you know, right. from my perspective and I, where I work, we need to ask why and we need to dig deeper and understand why is a woman experiencing this? If it's an issue that you don't have enough serotonin, why do you not have enough serotonin? If it's an issue with, you know, you feeling sad or feeling like you want to cry and it's a, you know, only happening one week out of the month, like that's a clue. We need to follow the clues and try to understand what's the real underlying cause. Because so often women who are experiencing mood disorders, it, it really is nothing wrong with their mood, but we instead have to look at gut health and thyroid health right. and how are your adrenals functioning? What's your inflammation like? There's so many avenues and so many different directions uh, we can go when it comes to addressing what's really going on with a woman's mood. Right. And it, it can be frustrating, you know, when a lot of times people will just add supplements to replace that rather than understanding the pathway that's having the problem. You know, it's kind of like adding SAMe rather than looking at methylation issues or, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's a holistic, you know, I love the fact that you approach it in a holistic way. You know, you need to find out what's wrong with the pathway, not just replace, you know, what's missing. I love that. That's so important in, in long-term health, you know. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes, like, and, and you know, just to, to, to round it out, but, you know, sometimes our mood is just, it's just a signal that there's disharmony in our life. And sometimes depression or anxiety can actually be a signal for us to step back and reexamine our life and take a new direction or maybe resolve some unresolved issues. So, and, and that's so just to say, it's not always something, you know, biological that's wrong with you. Sometimes it's a situation and it's things that need to change. And that mood is your body's way of telling you, Hey, it's it's time we do something different. This isn't serving us anymore. Mm, that's so good. So let's talk about you know because you know for someone who's got a norm, normal thyroid function, let's talk about how Hashimoto's just in and of itself affects sex hormones. How can that alter somebody without necessarily having altered the thyroid 
per se yet? Yes. So <clears throat> I think the first thing that we, we should acknowledge about Hashimoto's and, and sex hormones and libido is uh, how we feel about ourselves and how we perceive ourselves really does a whole lot for our health, but it has a really large impact when we're talking about libido. And why I bring this up is because in the Hashimoto's population, you know, and, and uh, as a woman who has Hashimoto's, I'll speak for myself, like, you know, when I was losing my hair and gaining weight and my skin was really dry, I was having a hard time loving myself and, and feeling comfortable in my own body. And that, you know, that was, that was definitely a place where I had to spend a lot of time doing some work. And so, you know, that's something that I want to acknowledge as well, because I think, you know, we're going to dive in deeper with this. And I don't want anyone who's listening to be like, wow, I, you know, I don't, but I don't feel sexy and us not to acknowledge that like, yeah, you know, that, that can also be an issue, but you know, with Hashimoto's, so Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disease and with any autoimmune disease, we have some level of inflammation taking place and inflammation is going to impact the adrenal glands and your adrenal glands. Now, most people don't think of adrenal glands as being connected to our libido, but your adrenal glands, they're going to govern that inflammation, and their job is to try to decrease that inflammation and keep that immune system in check. But with Hashimoto's, you know, that, that inflammation, if we're not addressing the underlying cause, it can really start to uh, tax the adrenals over time. It can also disrupt the, the HPA access, so how the brain is talking to the adrenal glands and how the adrenal glands are responding to the brain. And why this is really important for libido is because what we'll see happen is over time as these adrenal glands, you know, they're, they're trying to keep up with the demand in there, your body's trying to push everything into cortisol, you'll start shunting away from your production of progesterone. And progesterone is the female sex hormone that is highest in the second half of our menstrual cycle, what's known as the luteal phase. It's also the hormone that's associated with pregnancy as well. And as we start to still away from progesterone, we're not going to be getting that lovely sense of calm that we get from it. And, and we're also going to see a rise in estrogen begin. And so this is what we call a relative estrogen dominance in which it's not that you're producing too much estrogen. Of course, that can happen, but it's that you don't have enough progesterone relative to your estrogen. And they, that estrogen needs to be challenged by progesterone. And why this estrogen, state of estrogen dominance, I mean, this is important for you know, all women, but especially in Hashimoto's women, is that as that estrogen increases, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blunt the response of the adrenal hormones that are coming from the brain, and it will also increase uh, cortisol binding globulin, which is going to grab onto the cortisol, which, you know, cortisol, a lot of people will say, oh, well, that's the belly fat hormone. Yeah, but it's also helping with inflammation, which we absolutely want if there's an autoimmune condition taking place. And it supports the thyroid. It's, it's part of our energy production as well. But as this estrogen dominance progresses, it will also raise, so as it'll raise what's called sex hormone binding globulin, which is a protein that goes out there and grabs onto extra sex hormones, which can be a good thing if there's estrogen dominance, but it can also be grabbing onto your testosterone, which is where we, part of that sexual desire is coming from. In addition, that will also increase the, the thyroid binding globulin. And so you may not have a problem with your thyroid, and I'll see this quite a bit, where 
there might be antibodies present, but the TSH is looking good. Hey, free T4, free T3 are looking really good too, but still we have symptoms of hypothyroidism. And sometimes that can be because of what's happening at the cellular level, because estrogen can actually block the receptors for thyroid hormones on the cell, and you need progesterone. So thyroid hormone actually helps you have adequate progesterone, and progesterone actually helps you utilize your thyroid hormone, and they go hand in hand. So this can become really problematic for women. And, and so just to kind of give the big overview, we have inflammation. Inflammation taxes the, the adrenal glands, and we get lower progesterone levels, and then we can see the rise in estrogen. And that rise in estrogen can cause dysfunction in how we utilize our thyroid hormone. So this is before the thyroid itself is ever a problem. And then just to go a little step further, so I talked about how there can be an over-estrogen dominance. Well, your fat cells will produce estrogen. So if you've got estrogen climbing up and then you are seeing this decline in your thyroid hormone and you're starting to gain more weight, then you're going to see even more estrogen production, which is going to contribute to the problem. So this is all to just basically say every hormone is connected in your body. And so when we're assessing your health, we have to look at all of these aspects. Does that make sense? Now, absolutely. I have a couple questions, uh, Dr. Brighton. Can you have, like, say, for example, a lot of people whose, um, you know, their SED rate, their CRP, all of their hormones, estrogen, you know, progesterone, looks normal on paper. What is your response to that? Is there a, is there a Dr. Brighton, you know, testing specifically that you love to test for the whole cortisol inflammation? And what would you say to someone who feels like they're just death in a bucket, but yet all of these things are coming out, quote, unquote, normal on paper. That, so that's a great question. Um, this is something I take big issue with is when doctors say, well, your labs are normal, so whatever you're experiencing can't be true. So whatever you're experiencing, I think the patient's history and story has so much power, so much value. There's so much information there. I mean, this is the, you're, you live in your body. You know what's normal, and you know what's not normal. And just because a lab value says, hey, everything's fine, doesn't mean that's where we stop. We have to dig deeper. So I love, if we're going to test cortisol, I love doing salivary cortisol. We're going to test uh, throughout the day. We're going to take at least four samples to see what, what are your cortisol levels at. Um, but taking a look at CRP, looking at ESR, looking at these markers of inflammation. When I'm running labs, I mean, we're looking, we're looking at, uh, it's a very, I run very robust panels. And so we're looking at all of these intricacies. But sometimes the labs come back normal. And someone tells me, no, but I still don't feel right. And at that point, that's where the art of medicine comes in, in that we start evaluating the symptoms, we correspond that to the physical exam, and maybe we decide to do more um, in-depth lab testing. Or maybe we decide to start correcting things where there might be an imbalance. And, you know, it's really rare that, that somebody's labs come back and there's not anything significant being found. And that's because I'm not just looking at what's disease and what's the absence of disease, but I'm also looking at where is that optimal function. And I want to know, you know, I want to know where your cholesterol is at in conjunction with your CRP, and I want to see your liver enzymes, and I want to see your thyroid, and I want to see how everybody's talking to each other and seeing is there – is there any misdirection taking place or is there some kind of miscommunication um, at the cellular level? 
Now, it's an interesting thing that you bring up, the inflammation, because sometimes we will test a C-reactive protein and that, you know, it'll show that inflammation is low. Well, yeah, systemic inflammation is low. Inflammation is low throughout the body when we're looking at these markers. But that's not to say that we don't have some kind of low-grade inflammation taking place in the gut. I think the gut is probably one of, I think it is the major place that we see this kind of low-grade inflammation So, uh, and, and what can be taxing our adrenal glands and what can be hard on them and, and their communication with the brain and vice versa. And, and that might know, not necessarily why, show up in a CRP or a SED rate, something that's used as a general inflammation marker. Absolutely. There's inflammation, and so, right? And, yeah, and so sometimes we'll see, I'll get uh, blood work back, and there's no signs of inflammation. But then we take markers in the stool, like lactoferrin and calprotectin, and start looking at some of these other things, and we're seeing inflammation present in, in that stool culture, which is telling me, okay, so there's, there's some level of inflammation in the body. We have to figure out why do we have that inflammation there? Why is your body expressing in that way? And know that that is going to be hard on the adrenal glands, and that's going to affect our entire hormonal system, including our thyroid. And just to take it a step further, you know, gut health is so important to thyroid health because that's where 20%, roughly 20% of your conversion of T4 to T3 is happening. So that thyroid hormone to the one that we all love, which is the active thyroid hormone that gives us our metabolism and our energy and, you know, fuels every one of our cells. And even more, I think, another important point that we should also touch on is that you know, a li- your liver is a big part of your digestive um, health, and your liver is going to be processing your estrogen. If you've got estrogen dominance, then your liver is going to be working overtime to try to take care of those hormones. And this is especially true with women who are taking oral contraceptives or oral forms of estrogen. Um, your liver is going to it's going to convert about 60% of T4 to T3. So this is important for women listening. If you're having issues with your T4 to T3 conversion and you're also having symptoms of estrogen dominance or, or what seems to be progesterone deficiency or a luteal phase defect, which is not having a progesterone in the second half of your cycle, it, it may be an issue with your liver. And so it's not, always, it's not always just one thing and it's not a one size fits all for everyone. Because there can be a sluggish liver too, right, that's not going to show as high liver enzymes and, and, and more of a problematic or, or you know, uh, screaming problem. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. And you've got to think, like, our liver is doing so much. I mean, right. so much in our body. But <clears throat> when we are out in the world, we are exposed to so many toxins that we all take for granted that our liver is just processing and processing for us. So, um, yeah, you can have a sluggish liver or, or a liver that's just overwhelmed. If you are a woman and you are bathing yourself in toxin-laden uh, beauty products and self-care you know, products and you're putting those all over your skin and then you're cleaning your house with these chemical-filled uh, house cleaners and then you're going out and maybe you're going for a walk but you're walking on a busy street that has you know, lots of pollution that you're breathing from the car exhaust and maybe then you take a trip to the mall and you're exposed to perfumes and you eat somewhere that doesn't have organic food. Now, I'm starting to sound a little ominous right now, but it's just to illustrate that there are things we can control and things we cannot control, and we are going to be exposed to toxins. It's the reality of the world that we live in now. 
And it's so funny you say you were starting to sound a little ominous, and I was just thinking, wow, that sounded like one of my days the other day. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> no? <laughs> Seriously. I told my husband, I was like, okay, I'm getting um, perfume bombed. Okay, my nose can't handle this, you know, and then we're somewhere else and there's exhaust and then we're somewhere else. I mean, you just listed one of my days not too long ago and I guess I just took my liver for granted. You're right. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's so... And appreciating our liver. Like, yes, we all should appreciate our liver. Capture oil packs all around for everyone, right? Give your liver some love. That's right. That's Give right. Give your liver... We need to have a liver love. Yeah. <laughs> We're liver lovers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, Dr. Brighton, can you, can you tell us, um, you know, speaking of and your gut and, and liver, can you give us some of your favorite tests <clears throat> that you use in your uh, practice for, for gut testing and, and uh, liver testing? Yeah, so <clears throat> I like to start with basic uh, blood work. So looking at liver enzymes like AST, ALT, GGT, and looking at those specifically. Um, and, you know, some of the other labs that we were talking about. I also like um, to run stool cultures in my practice. It, now, this, I, I, when I'm dealing with someone with Hashimoto's, it's always a question of, okay, well, what, what's going on in the gut and where is it at? So, Sometimes we're ordering a stool culture. Other times we may, in addition to or separately, be running a lactulose breath test. So um, looking for things like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and whether that's a hydrogen or methane-producing species that can be present. Um, I think that's a really important factor to be evaluating in people. And so I think the stool culture and talking about you know, doing that gets a, um, a lot of people are talking about that, and it gets a lot yeah. of play. Um, but I also think it's important to evaluate what's happening in our small intestine. And we're, we know that with thyroid patients, a lot of them also have digestive issues and more specifically things that are in line with IBS, um, irritable bowel syndrome. And so I really like to evaluate my patients for SIBO. And you know, some, so one thing is that when you have low thyroid, you are going to have slow motility. So you need that thyroid hormone to actually move food through your intestines. And so I see a lot that SIBO and hypothyroidism can go together because if you've had this you know, long enough period of time of slow gut motility, um, there's been an opportunity for those bacteria to make their way there. And in addition to that, if you have slow gut motility, you are also more susceptible to food poisoning, which when you um, – so the interesting thing about SIBO, some research that came out um, last year, is that when you contract food poisoning in specific organisms like Shigella or Salmonella that release cytolethal distending toxin, well, your body is super smart, and it goes after that toxin because that's what makes you feel bad, and it just tries to mop up that whole mess, except that, that – Cytolethal descending toxin looks enough like a protein called vinculin, which vinculin is a protein found on the migrating motor complex of your intestine. This is the, the housekeeper of your intestine, goes through and sweeps everything through. Well, in, in your body gets a little bit confused. Cytolethal descending toxin looks like vinculin. Let's attack vinculin too. And then we have an issue with our immune system actually attacking the migrating motor complex. And until you resolve the underlying infection, which is the bacterial overgrowth, you won't be able to heal the nervous system. Now, the really cool thing is that your nervous system and your gut actually heals 
really quickly um, after you resolve this. But why this is really important for uh, for everyone, but also um, Hashimoto's patients, is that you've got low-grade inflammation happening. You've got leaky gut. Uh, enough Hashimoto's have food sensitivities. So if you've got leaky gut, you're only going to get more food sensitivities developing over time. And, and it can also trigger additional autoimmune conditions to develop but you're also not going to absorb your nutrients as well as you need to. And so these bacteria, I have this love-hate relationship with them. I love them. They're great in your large intestine, not so good in your small intestine. And they're super smart, but I kind of hate them because they're so smart that they keep you from absorbing your vitamin A and your vitamin D, getting in important nutrients like zinc and selenium and B12 and all of these things we need to, to fuel our thyroid and our body overall SIBO can actually disrupt. And so sometimes, and, and I've seen this clinically actually many times where somebody, you know, it seems like we've got some kind of, you know, disruption happening in the thyroid, whether that's we're not producing enough thyroid hormone or not converting or maybe not utilizing it. And often the underlying issue can be the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Now, it's a chicken and egg situation, which came first, the SIBO or the hypothyroidism. Uh, most of the time, I don't care because I know what we need to do, and that's make that patient feel better sooner than later while we resolve what those underlying issues are. Um, does all of that make sense? Yes. Yes. And that's a flower field. I'm in a perpetual yeah. flower field moment right now. <laughs> yes, we are. Right. We have flower field moments on the show, uh, Dr. Brighton. We started it, you know, a year ago almost uh, with one of our guests. Where, where whoever's talking, uh, mostly the guest, uh, says something that we're just, uh, you know, absorbing and we're reflecting and we're connecting with and we just need to sit for a moment and just take it all in. So that was Tiffany's flowerfield moment, what you just said. It is because I think <laughs> gut, gut problems in particular is what I would consider the paramount failure of conventional medicine right now. And they're just, they're missing so many people that are so very unwell and feeling unwell and having just suboptimal living and lives and libido and, you know, mood disorders and everything. And it's, and it's, that is the key factor. And it's, they just don't test properly for it, nor do they, you know, it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, adrenal fatigue and yeast problems. They sort of just sort of wait until everything hits the fan rather than, you know, then optimizing people's health and well-being. It's just, it's very sad to me. So I love the fact that that's so important, particularly in functional medicine right now, is that everybody is really looking at the gut, you know? It's yeah. a and it's, factor so, in well-being. Yeah. And, you know, I, I didn't share this back story, but, you know, as a child, I actually was a child with a lot of digestive issues and had a lot of gut problems. And it took many, many years until they figured out that I had H. pylori. Now, to be fair, oh, wow. at the time, nobody was talking about H. pylori. But when you were me, a kid. I, yeah, Jeez. I was I, I was about seven years old when I started having um, stomach pain, reflux. Um, I had a, a couple of endoscopies, and it wasn't until I was 17 that I, I had another endoscopy, and they found that I had H. pylori, I had chronic gastritis, and I had the beginning stages of ulcers in my stomach. And that wow. was 17 years old. And it's something that, yeah. And so, you know, that actually, that's what catapulted me into nutrition and figuring out and at 17, I was like, I'm going to, you know, I, I did the antibiotics and then was told I'd be on proton pump inhibitors for the rest of my life. 
at 17, and you can't tell a teenager they're going to take pills for the rest of their life. That's just not going to fly. Um, but I, right. that's when I started to just dig deep into nutrition. And um, as a child, I was always fascinated by herbal medicine and by things that you could eat that would affect your body in certain ways. I was a super nerdy kid. I'm still super nerdy. Um, but that's how I really started to get into natural health and, and figuring out, like, well, I, you know, if I don't eat, like, I, at 17, I figured out, hey, if I don't eat fast food or I don't eat, um, you know, spaghetti, like, I don't get heartburn. Why is that? Okay, there's, the, and, and at the time, I didn't even realize it was refined carbohydrates. That wasn't even in my, my language at all. It was just like, well, here's the things that are not working for me. And I started to, you know, change that and change my diet. But I think, you know, in a lot of ways, it's really, it's really sad to me that conventional medicine, they don't have the tools to be able to address the gut because, you know, Hippocrates said so very long ago, and it's something that, you know, I think all, every physician should carry with them is that all disease starts in the gut, but, you know, also all of your health is cultivated in your gut as well. And so it's kind of, you know, doctors all doctors, you don't come to medicine because you you don't want to help patients. Like you come to medicine because you want to help patients and you want to you know, elevate the greater good. And so, in a lot of ways, I, you know, I I hear from a lot of MDs that I talk with that they they're equally frustrated. And right. it's just so. to me, I'm like, that's if if I was a doctor and I didn't have the tools to work on someone's gut, I think my hands would be tied in a lot of ways because you cannot ignore you cannot ignore the gut health when you're talking about someone's health altogether. Right. There was actually a documentary done. I want to say like three years ago, but I'm not real good at like timelines per se. But a, docu- a documentary that was done by an MD talking about the frustration in medicine for people who for physicians that truly want to help people, how many times their hands are tied. I can't remember the mm-hmm. name of the documentary, but it was really good. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> but um, Yeah, and it was an MD. It was like a journey of an MD talking about the frustration in medicine and, and how it wasn't, how she was unable to really actually do what she intended to do when she set out in medicine. It was, it was kind of sad. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back to libido. Because yeah. <laughs> I think it's, I know that sounds terrible, and I, I'm like a, a, a shifter, but I honestly, it's something you see in so many of these forums, women that are getting divorces because they, they have lack of sex drive, and not just lack of sex drive, but they have, I think there's also a detachment that's very, or a disconnect that's very common in thyroid disorders where you, it's not only just not having a libido, it's almost a disconnect from any type of emotion or feeling or um, so I just think it's so very important because it rarely ever gets addressed. I mean, you know, sex drive is not at the top of the list for everybody. It's fatigue and cognition as far as practitioners are concerned. But you hear these women screaming for help. I have no sex drive. My husband's taking it personally. And so many of them are getting divorced. You see it on, on almost daily in forums of oh, how thyroid disease destroyed their marriage. So let's, let's because it's, it's not a subject that comes up often, let's really, I, I feel like you're a prime candidate to, to give women some tips or tricks or testing or things that can help them grab back on to being able to feel, and that, of course, involves sex. So let's talk about that. Yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> let's, yeah, so I want to I wanna dive into that. But I want to say, you know, when it comes to libido, I ask all my patients about libido, and I evaluate their sexual health. And that, you know, a lot of us feel like we have to deny our sexual health. I mean, it's part of our society to, you know, basically see that as, like, it's almost like self-care. Like, oh, that's just a bonus and a benefit, and, like, you don't really, it's not really that important. But it is important because, you know, your, your libido is telling us a lot. A strong libido is a sign of vitality. If you're interested in having sex, it's probably because your body is in a place of harmony and that you would be able, you know, if you're, if you're a woman in your reproductive years, you would be able to conceive. When our body is shutting down our libido, that's a lot of the times a sign that, hey, we, we are not in a safe environment or our body is not healthy enough to have a baby. There is a right. biological reason for it. So if right. your libido is low, it's not something that you should just live with. You should, you, you should be working with someone who's going to dig deeper and understand what's going on with that. And, you know, having, you know, having sex is really important for our health. I mean, it helps with circulation in our pelvis. It helps with our hormones. You get your oxytocin boost when you have an orgasm, which opposes the negative effects of cortisol. It's anti-aging. It makes you feel happy and good inside, and we all need that. And it helps you bond with your partner. So, you know, that's just to say, if you're anyone listening to this, uh, if you're just thinking like, oh, libido, like I don't have one and that's normal. And no, that's not. I'm sorry. It's not. It's, no. it's, a, it's a bigger issue underlying. We need to get to the bottom of that because the same hormones that are affecting your libido, you know, those hormones are affecting your mood. They're affecting your thyroid. And they may even, you know, in states of estrogen dominance and not enough progesterone, if you're susceptible, I mean, we can see that progressing into um, cancer, into increased uh, fat cell storage. You can impair the thyroid function even more. Or on the opposite side, you know, if we're having low estrogen and low hormones, um, then you can start to see bone loss and memory issues and, and issues with bladder um, so, so women can actually have urine leakage and things along those lines. So these hormones that might be showing up very early in your life that, with like a low libido could be signs that are point, you know, pointing to a dysfunction that could lead to something much more significant later in life. So in terms of, you know, so in terms of what we can do to help the libido, um, you know, we first should acknowledge that it's not all thyroid all the time. Your relationship with your partner is really important as well. Um, if you've had a past history of trauma, that's definitely something that's going to have to be addressed. And it's not something that we can get supplements or herbs or, you know, do, do anything. If, if there's a past history of trauma or a disconnect between you and your partner, that's something that you really are going to want to spend some time working on and finding like a counselor or somebody that you really resonate with that can help you process some of those, um, some of those issues that might be underlying that. And that's really, you know, a big message here is to treat the underlying cause. So we want to test the hormones. We want to test um, estrogen. So I should say specifically, so on day three of your menstrual cycle. So day one is the first day that you have your period. 
on day three of your menstrual cycle, that's when we test estradiol in uh, menstruating females. So that's your the specific form of estrogen. We also test FSH and LH, which are brain signals to your ovaries. And that can help us understand, you know, are there issues early on in the menstrual cycle? Are we seeing potential estrogen dominance? Um, is a woman, I mean, we can even start to detect things like menopause may be starting or premature ovarian failure. So this is a, a, another reason why this testing is important, but also paying attention to your libido is important. And then if we're going to test uh, progesterone, we want progesterone to be tested approximately seven days after ovulation. And most women ovulate somewhere around day 14. So usually we're collecting the blood days 19 through 22, usually 21 is the average. And um, if we're seeing low progesterone levels, that can tell us that, okay, so maybe we didn't ovulate, which is entirely possible in a hypothyroid woman. And, and we don't have to ovulate every single cycle. So if you do get a low number um, at progesterone that's less than 18 that day, then you know, test it again the next month and see where it's at. But when you ovulate, there's a structure left that's called the corpus luteum. And it's, its job is to produce progesterone until, uh, if you become pregnant, the placenta can take over. But if you don't ovulate, that corpus luteum won't be there. And you won't get adequate progesterone levels, which when progesterone's low, um, but, you know, I kind of joke about this, but it's, it's very true. When progesterone's low, uh, women usually have one of two thoughts. Uh, the week to two weeks before their period. And one is I, I want to kill everybody or I want to run away to the woods and never be seen again. And sometimes it's both. And that's because progesterone stimulates the GABA receptor in your brain, which helps you feel really chilled out and calm. So imagine if you, if you have low progesterone and you're having that feeling of like, I'm completely stressed out and I just want to get away from everyone, you're not, you're not going to have any libido or, or any sexual desire. Why would you want to be close to someone? You're feeling so irritable all the time. So that's just some of the things that we want to, we want to check and we want to look at. And then, of course, looking at DHEA, cortisol, testosterone, some of these other hormones that can be big players as well. And I encourage women to talk to their doctors about looking at sex hormone binding globulin because sometimes women will come to me and um, they'll have their total testosterone tested and their doctor's like, oh, well, it's fine except that their free testosterone is really low and their sex hormone binding globulin is really high. And so then we have to start to work on some of those issues. So you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very big balancing act of understanding, well, where is the imbalance happening, um, doing the appropriate testing and then intervening where necessary. And then, of course, you should always have your thyroid checked and, and have the full panel of TSH, free T3, free T4, uh, TPO and thyroglobulin antibodies, if you haven't had those done yet, and a reverse T3 as well. But um, so I want to kind of dive in a little bit deeper into things that are that we can do. Um, what's really cool uh, is that anything we talk about to improve your libido is actually going to improve your overall health, including your thyroid mm -hmm. health as well. So, you know, the first recommendation that I have to patients is to do what you can to eliminate stress. Stress will kill your libido. And back to what I said before about the pregnenolone steel, and, and you preferentially make cortisol over progesterone. Um, again, if the body perceives the environment is not safe, it doesn't want you getting pregnant. So you're going to see that shift. Um, you know, we're always going to have stress in our life, but where we need to focus is the one on our perception of stress and the way we allow it to affect ourselves 
And then also, you know, who we let in our life. There's so often that my patients uh, will identify that there's somebody in their life that, you know, I would, I would call like a toxic person. And that doesn't mean they're a bad person, but how they're influencing my patient's environment isn't in the healthiest way. So if you've got people in your life, and this is especially important for women because um, we like to share and we like to talk about our problems, but sometimes you can be talking to a girlfriend about problems in your marriage, and, and sometimes they're actually happy that you're unhappy, and they're not being very supportive, and they're actually making you feel worse, and that's not a very good position to be in. So making sure that you don't have these kinds of people in your life, you when Patients have people in their life that support them, but even more, people that they know love them, they thrive and they heal. I mean, it's exponential the way that they're able to heal themselves. Um, so is all of this making sense? I, I got a lot more to t- I was going to share, but I'm like, maybe I should take a, take a little break here and see if you have any questions. <laughs> no, uh. I'm, I'm like stuck in a flower field. I'm just listening yeah. to you talk. I mean, it's, it's yeah. okay. Yeah, you're yeah. you're on a roll, so I don't want to interrupt yeah. it, you know. No, no you're right on <laughs> Thank the Thank you. Keep going, sister. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so, you know, some of the other things that we can look at, I think every Hashimoto's patient knows that if they see a functional medicine or naturopathic doctor, they're going to be asked to examine their diet. And specifically, you know, we definitely want to remove food sensitivities for the autoimmune condition, for the autoimmune component, but also for the inflammation and supporting those adrenal glands. Something else that I see we're shifting um, away from, and I'm, I'm really glad, is the, the idea that fat is bad and um, the perpetuation of low-fat diets as, as like the poster child for the fit woman. I think um, there's, there's enough evidence coming out and enough of us speaking about this, but why I bring it up is because, you know, sometimes correcting a woman's hormones is as simple as getting enough fat into their diet. Um, if your cholesterol, if your total cholesterol is less than 150 and you're experiencing a low libido, chances are you need to reexamine your diet and look at how much fat you're actually taking in because fat, that cholesterol forms the backbone of our hormones. And so making sure you're getting good fats like avocado, macadamia nut oil, um, getting in some grass-fed ghee or um, even grass-fed butter if you tolerate that. Um, if you're, uh, you know, if you're inclined, you can also incorporate things like um, beef tallow, ox fat, and, uh, you know, all of these really amazing fats can help fuel your libido. Um, then pairing those fats with protein at each meal will support blood sugar regulation, which, again, makes for really healthy adrenal glands, which I think that everyone's probably catching on to the theme right now, is that if we want to support our libido, we've got to really take care of our adrenal glands first. It's very rare that I see a hormonal issue in a, in a menstruating woman that's just due to the sex hormones. It's usually the adrenals um, that, are, that are calling the shots with all of that. Um, and then incorporating foods that, um, you know, have the nutrients you need to support your hormones overall. So looking at foods that contain zinc. So oysters actually, they get touted a lot as being an aphrodisiac, and that's because they have good amounts of zinc, which is great. Um, ladies, if you're listening, get the gentleman in your life eating more oysters, um, and that will really help <laughs> their testosterone levels. Um, but you really? know, issues like, oh, yeah, yeah. So oh, yeah. Um, it's. Yeah, that zinc is, is very necessary, you know, and 
again, what I said about whatever we do to help the libido is going to help the thyroid as well. So if you think about the nutrients you need for thyroid, uh, thyroid hormone production and utilization, those same things can help with your libido as well. And then I also think it's important to examine, like, what does it mean to feel sexy to you? Um, and, you know, I bring up this point because I think body image issues permeate our culture. I mean, from the day that we are, you know, as, as young women are exposed to media, we are being shown what what society tells us is sexy and what society tells us is normal for a woman to like and what the ideal is. And, um if we could all just reject that, firstly, and, and really just, yes. just rest that way and, and recognize that, like, you are beautiful the way you are. And what matters is what makes you feel sexy and what resonates with you. So if you want to wear high heels and put on red lipstick and that makes you feel sexy, fantastic. If it's something, you know, I it's something that some of my patients will say to me is, you know, going to a dance class or belly dancing makes them feel sexy um, more so than than how they look or are uh, you know anything they could put on themselves is how they're how they're exploring their body through movement. So really getting into okay, what what drives me? What makes me happy? Because we um, definitely you know it's not only the body image issues in our society, but there's also this um, this idea that we're supposed to try to please other people. And as women, you know, we, 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 we want to be caretakers and pleasing. And, and these are kind of broad statements. And this is not going to be true for everyone listening. So I want to acknowledge that. But you know, it's something to stand back and look at, okay, well, what do I need? What, what do I need? Do I need to spend more time by myself? Do I need to you know, go for walks? Do I need to get involved in um, you know, these crafts I was really interested in or other hobbies? And t- really tending to yourself and tending to your needs. Does that well, make that sense? actually can, absolutely, and that actually can can raise progesterone levels even our food choices can raise progesterone levels but that perception of you know if you talk to any guy that's been married or whatever a lot of the times regardless of body shape or size their husband will say i think they're beautiful but she doesn't think she's beautiful so it's it's almost like you know that need to feel sexy and and need to feel desirable, I think, is very much an internal feature. But but also want to point out that that actually can raise progesterone levels, can't it? Oh, yeah. So yeah. You, you are so powerful. I mean, we are so powerful, more so than we ever give ourselves credit for, in that our thoughts can shape our health. Like we and, and, and then our health can shape our thoughts. That's true, too. But your perception of yourself and then the way you're tending to yourself and caring for yourself can absolutely shift your hormones in a really positive way. And if you think about it again, if, if you're doing these things, then your, your adrenal glands, they're, they're going to feel nurtured and taken care of, and they're going to allow a little more for that progesterone, for sure. Right. Um, right. I, t- I, talk, I talk about it as your body trusting you, I think you know, uh, particularly with women with thyroid disorders because we hang on to a little extra weight a lot of the time. We have a tendency to feel like if I lost weight, I'd be more beautiful rather than really embracing the fact that, you know, I'm beautiful the way that I am. It's almost like, um, I can't think of, of how to actually say it, but you can actually help yourself lose weight if you could actually learn to love yourself at the weight that you are. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. 
It's like a, yeah. it's a feedback system. It's like which came first, the chicken or the egg? I'm not explaining it right, but, you know, when we, you know, um, and even just, yeah, just, you know, changing that frame of mind can help us feel, you know, or or like you said, whatever makes that person feel sexy. For some people, it's lingerie. For some people, it's at doing volunteer work or charity work. I mean, that can make them feel more desirable as a person. And, and um, you know, that can actually alter things physiologically. I think that's so important for people to understand. Rather than taking a pill or doing something, I mean, obviously there's times that, that the, the, you know, um, the alteration is huge. But I think a lot of the times it's it's in that phase where everything's normal, but it needs that boost, which can be done by our own food choices and mental health, you know, like being conscious of our mental health. Absolutely. And like you said, Dr. Brighton, earlier, you know, body image is such a big thing. And But, you know, if you ask, if you ask people, if you ask men, you know, what do you find sexy, it's not always the body. No. It's uh, their, someone's confidence or their smile or their brains or their this, you know. And so, you know, Tiffany and I always say if you listen to your body, your body will talk to you what makes you so sexy. It doesn't necessarily mean you've got to be strutting around in a bikini. It's what what makes you feel sexy. <laughs> right? And and if we could tap more into that than standing in the bathroom and looking in the mirror and, you know, you just woke up and your hair's everywhere and, you know, that's not the moment. You know, the moment, what makes you sexy? Do the things that make you sexy. You know, if it's red lipstick and high heels, then that's what it is. If it's, you know, uh, reading or volunteering or, or, you know, explaining something to someone that makes you feel smart and sexy, those are the things you need to focus on as well right absolutely yeah it's it's funny about the the weight thing because i think um and and i should just say i am i am i have not mastered this in any way i still struggle with my (laughs) own body image issues i'm not so i don't want to sit here and be like well this is what you need to do this is this is my work every single day too ladies this is my work too so um, but, you know, it's interesting about the weight is how often as women, you know, will say like, oh, well, I want to I want to do this thing or we set some kind of goal, but we'll tell ourselves, but I want to be I want to be thinner for that or I want I want this or that to be different. And, and how we can actually get hung up on something that's really in the grand scheme of things so trivial. Um, and and it's almost it's sad in some ways how we can miss out on things. And, and this just comes to mind because I had a friend of mine that. She got these uh, really racy pictures done um, because she just kind of wanted to immortalize herself. But something she <laughs> said to me is that I she wanted to do it for years and she had been putting it off, putting it off. And she finally realized, like, if she didn't do it now, she was never going to do it. And, and in that moment, she was saying this to me. I you know, I had this, this epiphany of, like, wow, we are the best versions of ourselves right now. Like, we are going to just, we will age. Like, that is going to happen. And so if you're waiting for something like, oh, things will be better if I just do X, Y, and Z, well, a decade of your life might pass and you've missed out on something because you were holding on to this, this idea of what you thought you needed to be rather than embracing who you are in that moment. Right. Uh, you know, we need that angelic noise right there. Oh, you know. <laughs> well, we want we want a button, we Dr. That. Brighton, that we, we do. We need we need a button on the show that we push so we can have a, our flower field moment just so everybody will know what's going on. <laughs> well, it's so true. I mean, I think that I think that is just so true because you even see women who have these phenomenal gorgeous bodies and they're not happy. 
they're not okay with themselves. I mean, and then you can see, you know, a woman that has a little extra weight and or a woman that's aging, and, man, they just own it, right? I mean, you can you can smell the confidence from 25 feet away. You know what I'm saying? You're like, right. wow, that's awesome. <laughs> it has nothing to do yeah. with size or shape or whatever. It's just that they just they just owning it. You know, and that that to me is is when a woman is truly beautiful is when she just is comfortable in her own skin and just owning it. You know, I mean, we all know what they are. We all know who they are. We all know who they are because they have this air about them. And I think it's a to me it's a beautiful thing, and it has nothing to do with size or shape or physical beauty or anything like no. that. No, 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 no. It's a it's a confidence thing. Travis and I call it the cookie smell. <laughs> So what? <laughs> so if someone that we I say, Oh, she's she's definitely got the cookie smell or he's definitely got the cookie smell because everybody's attracted to them because their confidence is radiating. Right. So that's that's a new term you can you can you can use. And everybody your, loves your the your cookie husband. smell, right? That's so true, right? They Everyone's do. Like, oh, yeah, right. You walk into a house and you smell yeah, you can smell cookies and everybody's like, Oh yeah, and it's like you're floating through the air attracted to the person, you know. We were out of town and and I was like pointing someone out. I was like, "Wow, she definitely has a cookie smell." And and basically, it's just it. She just felt good, looked good. Was you know, she was just happy, and you could right. tell she felt just good owned in her it. skin. And yeah, she was just owning it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I don't even remember what she looked like. You see, it, it didn't it wasn't about <laughs> what she looked like. It was just her confidence. And uh, so we all need to find our cookie smell. That's what it is, right? Well, it's like my it's like Maya Angelou says, right? She says that you won't remember what someone said to you, but you will remember how they made you feel. That's so interesting that you say that. I don't remember what she looked like, but you remember that she had that confidence. Yeah, that's very cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, ladies, should we talk about herbs a little bit? Yes. You bet. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, so I wanted to just, spend some time talking about some specific herbs that women can use that will help the adrenals, the thyroid, and support their libido. Um, I think the one that everyone is probably familiar with when it comes to libido is maca. And maca is a wonderful adaptogenic herb. So what that means is adaptogenic herbs, we can think of them in a way that they support normal cortisol but levels, but also adrenal function overall. And so the, if you need a little more, they help you have a little bit more. And if you need a little bit less, they can help, uh, they can help dissipate, they can dampen your cell's response to cortisol or even dampen how much cortisol the adrenal glands are putting out. Um, but maca, an important thing to note is that, yes, it does support female sex hormones. It also supports male sex hormones. But for some hypothyroid patients, it can be a little too stimulating. So when you start with maca, I generally recommend starting with maca first thing in the morning. And you can do a powder and put it in your smoothie, or you can take it as a tincture form. Um, and start, with, you know, start slow and just see how you do with it. Usually I have patients try it once. And then wait a few days and just notice how they felt on it because we don't we don't want to be overstimulating either because that can make you feel uh, it, it makes you feel stressed out when there is indeed no stress. But maca now let me is let me great, ask you a oh go ahead. May I ask you a quick question about maca root? Do you have um, a preference like uh, as far as gelatinized for the for the goitrogenic properties? Is is that possibly if someone were women were low in iodine, would that make them feel poorly? Um, just 
do you have a preference to form? Let's just sum it up there. So in my office, I actually mix all of my tinctures myself, and so I'm cool. usually using it in tincture oh, that's form. So cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's your preference. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Great. So and usually what I do. So if we're going to use. So if we're using. So I'll just say. Okay. If I'm going to do a formula for, you know, a woman's libido and helping with hormone balancing, I'm going to be looking at adaptogenic herbs. So maca is one that we talked about. Um, maybe ginseng, Eleutherococcus, rhodiola, um, licorice is another great one. Um, so is a uh, goda cola. Um, so, you know, I'll be looking at, okay, we want to have an adaptogenic herb because we need to have that support for the adrenal glands. And then I'll also be adding in uh, usually something to support the liver as well. So that might be like burdock or yellow dock. Um, milk thistle is really good for um, the liver cell repair if there's been any kind of damage done to liver um, or dandelion root. So we're, we're doing something to also facilitate liver detox pathways. Um, and then I'm usually using specific herbs for hormones, um, which can include Dong Kwai, which Dong Kwai reduces um, pelvic stagnation. It's an anti-inflammatory and it's an anti-spasmodic. So it's really helpful if a woman's having um, painful periods as well. And Dong Kwai is kind of like this harmonizer for the hormones. And then if we're looking at issues with um, with maybe there's there's hot flashes or we're having um, estrogen fluctuations in the first half of the cycle, then we might be using something like black cohosh, um, which I I might combine with Vitex if if the symptoms are more that you know days 15 through 28 of the menstrual cycle, so that second half of the menstrual cycle, maybe a woman is feeling really weepy, having breast tenderness, um, she has really heavy periods, she can't sleep and is feeling really anxious. That's when I would start to think about using things like Vitex which Vitex is also known as chase tree berry, and it helps with your progesterone production. And it also helps, um, and then that, so that progesterone production is going to help with GABA in the brain. And I may, and, and then, you know, if, if those are the symptoms that we're looking at, I would probably pair that as well with something like passion flower, which is a great nervine. So nervines are herbs that really help soothe the nervous system. And um, passion flower is a great one, also working on those, those GABA receptors. Um, but I may also use oats in there as well, which if you've ever heard of like sowing your wild oats, um, milky oats <laughs> in spe specifically, those, those are actually um, great for the libido as well. And then if we're looking at like, you know, do we, uh, you know, do we have a circulation issue or, you know, is there difficulty to achieve um, orgasm? Ginkgo is a really great herb to have in there as well. Um, there's been studies that shown that um, women taking ginkgo, they experienced increase in sex drive. They had an increase, uh, they were uh, able to achieve orgasm more quickly, which um, for everyone listening, it can take a woman a good 20 minutes um, before or she's even close to experiencing an orgasm. So, um, so this is I say this. So, ladies, if if anyone tells you that oh you you just take a long time or you're difficult, no, no, we all take a while. And uh, and and here's the thing for us as women, foreplay happens way before anybody's even talking about taking off their clothes. Like way before foreplay for That's women. True. It's for women. It's yeah, very it's, mental. <laughs> it is. So, um, you know, I work a lot with moms and it's something when they're, they're struggling with libido. And I, I talk about this in my book as well. It, you know, part of that too is like, 
you know, the partner needs to step up and help. If, if, you know, when my husband is, you know, he, he surprises me and makes dinner and did all the dishes, that's pretty sexy to me. Like, I am feeling supported <laughs> and loved. See? And, right? Yeah. Yes. And that's something for women that we, when we feel that someone's supporting us or they're going the extra mile for us, like, that makes us feel really special. And so that's an important thing, you know, to put out there as well is that, you you gotta you know you you gotta be cultivating uh, your relationship with your partner before you even have talks about going into the bedroom because all of that adds up and is so important for us as women. Um, and is all all of that jiving with you, ladies? That makes sense. It is absolutely. And we want to know if we can. We want to know if we can ask you a personal question. Okay. <laughs> Do you mind sharing with us? No, wait, no. Oh my gosh! Based on the topic, I don't know if I should say yes. No, 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 no. We want to. We want to know. We want to know how young you are. We want to know how young you are. What is today? Uh, I'm going to be when this comes out. It'll be two days before my birthday, and I'll be 35. Oh wow! Well, happy birthday. Well, thank you. So here's something I do share. Um, <laughs> I'm going to share this. So when I was in my 20s, I had the lowest libido. Now, I wasn't in a good relationship. That was part of it. But the other thing is I was, like, fat-free as it could come. I worked out all the time, yeah. and I ate just as many whole grains as you could. Um, <laughs> I was not fueling my body with what it needs. And it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing because you know, to be in your 20s and have no libido, you don't want to talk about that. You don't even know who to talk about it with. And you're not even sure what's going on. And, you know, I I came out of that relationship and uh, that didn't mean my libido shifted so much. But it's when I started really changing my diet. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm going to, I'm going to try eating some butter. I'm going to try having, uh, I was like the eat the, eat the egg white only. Like, oh, I'll have Six egg white omelet, but don't put a yolk in there. And now I'm like, I just want the yolk. I just want the fat part. Like, that's what makes me feel better. Um, So I definitely, you know, the libido is something that I struggled with. And for me, it was a lot of, it was stress of my environment, not having a good relationship and what I was doing, what, what I was fueling my body with. Um, and it's, you know, again, to come back to that point, it's rarely just one thing. It's we've got to be approaching people holistically, but we've got to be thinking about women's health, you know, as as it is uh, the entire body communicates and relates to itself. It's not enough to just look at only thyroid function or look at only adrenal function or, you know, be just so wrapped up in the gut. We have to understand how everybody is playing a role in the symptoms that are expressed. I have a quick question to ask you just on a personal note. I noticed that you talk about GABA stimulation quite a bit. For people who feel better on, say, for example, and I noticed you didn't mention ashwagandha, for people that feel better on ashwagandha, and I know that ashwagandha is a GABA inhibitor. So is that why you stay away from that? Is that not uh, just any thoughts on that and ashwagandha as your adaptogen? Because I noticed that you didn't mention it. Um, yeah, I just was rattling off stuff and I didn't, I didn't mention that one. And, um, it's kind of funny cause I, ashwagandha gets talked about, um, a lot in I'm asking, thyroid Right. That's health. why I want to bring it up. But I know it is opposite. Yeah. It's not a stimulator. It's a, it's a GABA inhibitor. 
So, well, you know, and I've actually seen some information about um, it enhancing the effect of the GABA receptor at times as well. And I think, you know, what we're looking at is a, is, is a dosage issue. Um, the other thing about ashwagandha is that I typically like to use ashwagandha at night, when, especially when women are having um, Insomnia. sleep disturbances. Yes, and it might be something that's with cortisol dysregulation. Now, of course, we're doing other lifestyle things like you know, turning off the TV, wearing our light-blocking glasses, making sure we're bedtime routines. I mean, women need, people need these just as much as, as babies do. We need bedtime routines as well. Um, but it, and it's, I'm really actually glad that you brought that up because it's really important that if the circadian rhythm is being disrupted and your melatonin levels are being disrupted, that we're going to see issues with um, cortisol, and that's going to weigh in on the, the thyroid as well. But, yeah, no, I don't shy away from ashwagandha. I just happen to not mention it. And when we're talking about libido, <laughs> often we're looking at more herbs like in the, in the ginseng family. So um, the panax ginseng, the eleutherococcus, the rhodiola, those things are, are – um, what are more associated with that, like robust libido vitality? Cool, cool. Yeah, because I, for me personally, I used um, ashwagandha for about eighteen months, and it was just, my gosh, priceless until I was able to heal. But um, just amazing for anxiety, how it squelched that, you know, took that mm-hmm. zip out of that harried feeling, and and um, you know, but like you said, there's there's just so many different herbs for so many situations and it, that's a my gosh that's a craft in itself understanding all of that yeah and it's and it is also you know we we can look at herbs from these are the constituents and how they affect the body but there is you know uh, there is an art to herbalism and it's something that i was so fortunate you know to have it's it's part of naturopathic training we spend years learning herbalism um, but I got to study under the eclectic herbalist um, in the Pacific Northwest, like people that just sit and are with the herbs, and there's an energy there and a vibration. And so that's how I was taught to approach herbs is that we look at, we, we definitely look at, uh, you know, what's happening on the biological level and the physiological level, what are the constituents that are active, but also, you know, what are the properties of the herbs and, you know, what, how do these herbs speak to you? And sometimes when I'm in an office with a patient and I'm like, wow, I think passion flower would be good. And then I'm, I'm working, you know, I'm, I'm getting herbs and I'm like, you know, something is just telling me that we should use some lemon balm here. Like we just need a little bit of lemon balm. And so that's something else. There's also this intuition um, to using this. And, you know, of course, I don't, I don't want to say it in a way where people are like, oh, she's haphazardly just mixing herbs together. No, we're being safe. <laughs> no, we're thinking God, about no. all that. But it's also, you know, just there's there's a there's a plant energy and in there's there's this energy to it that you you can't even articulate really on that cognitive level but sometimes it feels more like an intuition of something just speaking to you saying like okay I think I think we need a little bit more of this this is this needs to be a, a more prominent player does that make sense yes 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 me and Dana and we then, want to you visit know, you for a tincture <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We want to go want visit you own. for a tincture. I want my own. I want my own tincture, and I want to stand in the room while you make it and while you do your work. <laughs> it's so intuitive. That's just so very cool. You know, it's just mm-hmm. that, that's just so very cool. Listening to the Earth, oh, we could you. all use a little bit more of that, right, Doctor Brighton? 
Oh, yeah. That's, um, you know, it's something that I say, the, the further we get from nature, the closer we come to disease. And I think that we all, uh, and great for your Ooh, libido, say that again. Say that again. That's, yeah, that's that again. Dr. Brighton's Our meme field. right there. Dana, that's Dr. Uh, Brighton's meme. Say that again. I am making <laughs> The further we get. The further we get from nature, the closer we come to disease. Um, so get yourself out there earthing. Go touch the earth. Go play in the grass. I mean, we can we can dissipate so much stress by just surrendering some of our troubles down to Mother Earth. I mean, she's an amazing recycler. She can just take all that. She knows exactly what to do with it. And so it's sometimes that, you know, just getting outside and playing, I have to say play is the number one thing that I prescribe and I feel like I talk about a lot because as adults, we just, we just again, this is one of the things we see as, as like, oh, this, this frivolous, uh, you know, activity and, and that we're not deserving of and we need to work. And, and no, we need to play more. I mean, play, when you're out playing or um, my son and I love to sing in the car, um, which, yeah, is uh, probably not my husband's most favorite thing. I'm a terrible singer and he's an awesome singer. But, um, you know, that can modify immune system. It can help with your cortisol levels. Um, it's going to help with your progesterone and estrogen levels. Going out and, and playing and being a human in the way we were meant to be. I mean, we're animals. We should be interacting with the earth like animals. It, all of that can do so much for your health. And I feel like it's, it's completely taken for granted. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Connection. We need to reconnect. Right? We're in a society of disconnect. Disconnect. And, you know, (sighs) I like that you say that because we even disconnect from ourselves. And, you know, another, another tip for everyone listening, you know, if you're struggling with your libido, try to make a morning practice out of dropping into your sacral chakra and coming into your pelvic floor. And so I'll, I'll prescribe these meditations for patients where, if they go in and they really own that space, as women in that, in that are receiving healthcare, you know, a lot of times we are having things done to us. An annual pap smear, well, now we're doing them like every three years, but the pap smear, I mean, that's something being done to you. That's a, a very different way that I approach medicine in that um, my patients are active participants. And it's the same, I practice holistic pelvic care which is an internal myofascial release to the pelvic floor that also incorporates oh, wow. breath work. And, um, <clears throat> and we do some really deep meditative work with that as well. It's something that I never want a woman who's in my practice to feel like something's being done to her. This is her body and her space, right. and she should own that. And this is especially important for moms especially those that are about to walk up to the birth door and have a baby. I mean, medicine, when you are a pregnant mom and you go to the hospital, they see you as just basically being in the way and they need to get a baby out, like baby's priority, which great. We want a healthy baby, but at the same time, like that's, that's mom's work to do. And being, I see women, they have such an easier time with this when they can still connect it into their pelvic floor. If, Every time you have sex, you leave that space and, and you just go up out of your, out of your body, then you're going to disconnect and you're not going to feel like you're an active participant. You won't be present with what's taking place. And right. this isn't to, and to place so any blame. 
Yeah, That's but so you know, if we we have decided woman... that we need you back for a prenatal show, prenatal grooming, right? <laughs> how important is that? We've decided that we need you to come back and talk about how to prepare yourself to have a baby, right? We, I mean, everybody thinks, okay, I'm pregnant, and now I'm going to start caring for myself rather than, you know, the year prior or whatever, you know, that you start grooming your body to, to have this amazing, miraculous event. Yeah, and we actually have a, a whole program, so it would be great to come back and talk about this. I we would love that. that. And we're going to be launching in fertility. Dana, are you there? I had a feeling, okay, I think we lost her on accident. Sometimes okay. she drops on that, which is just going to horrify her. But Dr. Brighton, thank you so much for being with us, and we want to have you back. We want to talk about uh, the pelvic things that you were talking about because I know that you're a holistic pelvic care specialist. I had that question for you. Also, biotherapeutic drainage. So we may need to have you back for a couple shows. But I would love you know, to have you back as well for, for some type of a prenatal, you know, prenatal grooming. I think people just don't give that enough attention, enough time, you know, when they're bringing this amazing creature into the world. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. We need to spend more time thinking about not just, not just how do we get pregnant, but how do we have the healthiest pregnancy and optimize our health, baby's health, and have the best postpartum experience we can. I'm here. Anna, are you? Yay! You're back. <laughs> I'm here. I don't know what Yay. happened. How strange. Sorry. That was odd because your call didn't drop. I was talking. I know. I was talking, and I thought you could hear me. Okay. Oh, you well. were talking. <laughs> sorry. I was. No. Okay. Sorry we to interrupt. Go ahead. No, we were talking about how we need to have Dr. Brighton back for a, a holistic pelvic care and biotherapeutic drainage and, gosh, molecular nutrition. I had so many questions for you. And also to have her back for uh, a prenatal care, like, you know, preparing the body for getting pregnant and this amazing, this amazing uh, journey that they're about to embark on. So we need her back for a couple and of shows. Hopefully Dr. Bright will <laughs> join us again. <laughs> yes, well, she, she has a, you have a best-selling book um, on this exact topic, right? Yeah, so I have, well, the book is called Healing Your Body Naturally After Childbirth. It's the new mom's guide to navigating the fourth trimester. So the fourth trimester are those, is that three months following the birth of baby. And this is where I see that healthcare drops a lot of women. It was my experience personally as a patient. Um, and, you know, it's something that I basically wrote the book that I wish I had when my son was born. And so it has herbal medicine. It has nutrition recommendations, things from helping your libido to improving your mood and preventing postpartum awesome. depression and ways to approach postpartum thyroiditis, which can be the first time that Hashimoto shows up for a woman. Awesome. Now, Dr. Brighton, do you also do uh, uh, appointments over the phone? Do you do any phone consultations with people, or is it an in-person Yes, so we do both in person and then we have phone or secure webcam. So it's similar to Skype except that it's secure so nobody gets to listen in on our conversations. And we offer that, um, yeah, we, we see people all over the world. Awesome, very cool. Yeah, oh, very, very cool. cool. Thank now, you so uh, much for, for joining us. I'm so excited to have gotten to finally talk to you. We've been we've been kind of trying to work it out for a while, so I'm really, really grateful to have had your information and you on the show today. Thank you so much. Amazing. Yes, now, Dr. Thank you Brighton, so much you for tell, having me. 
tell us real quick where's the best place to find you. Is it Oakland Naturopathic or Dr. Brighton or both? So where's the best Oakland place Naturopathic is the clinic's name, but um, so you can find me at drbrighton.com. That's D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N. That's the, the little tricky part there. Um, yeah, you can find me there. Um, you, if you've got questions or you'd like to see me write about something or speak about something, that's how I come up with all the articles I write is based on the feedback of what people feel they need. Um, and then for people listening today, if you'd like to download my top 10 supplement recommendations if you're struggling with hormonal imbalance, you can go to drbrighton.com slash hormones and pick up that guide. And that talks about some of the same nutrients and herbs that I spoke to today. Awesome. Awesome. And wow, you can see that wonderful. lovely picture of Dr. Brighton on the front of drbrighton.com. This amazing, beautiful woman with this fabulous hair. You need to write, we had Esther Bloom on and we were talking about her fabulous curly hair. You have just amazing hair. Well, thank you. <laughs> it was, I love my hair, and I feel that so many people recognize me from it. That was one of my, my biggest struggles with thyroid disease is when I started losing my hair and it was getting thin. I, it, was, it really woke me up to how much I, as women and myself, we identify with how we look. Right. right. Yeah, that's, that's fabulous that's looking. Blum thing, didn't she, Tess? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just, uh, yeah, you know. yes. All right, ladies. Well, well I'm definitely going to have to come back now because you're just, you're just giving me so many compliments. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, yes, yes. And, and be on the lookout. Dr. Um, Dr. Brighton has a, an article that she's, she's writing for us too. So we're going to post that and uh, we're going to have her back because there's just too much to talk about. And we had a blast today. So thank you. Thank absolutely. you. Thank you so much. Thank you so and much. we'll talk to you soon. All thank right. You, Dr. Sounds Brighton. great, ladies. Yeah, thanks for okay. having me, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Awesome. Okay, we will. Too. Bye-bye. Have a wonderful day. Bye. You too. Gee whiz, she's amazing. I, I could listen to her right. talk for like eight hours <laughs> or more. And, and that's, why, that's why I wasn't saying anything. She just, she was on a roll, and she just... I was amazing. I mean, geez, and we just barely topped on the on the herbal portion of it, and she's just an amazing wealth of knowledge for for women's health in particular. Can't wait to and have her back. My gosh, huh? Her pre um pre you know pre baby prenatal prenatal um, yes, care like grooming to have care. a baby. Oh my gosh, she said you know she took a year and did this, and I'm thinking. God, that is so smart. And, you know, I mean, nowadays people are more thinking of that, but how wonderful, right? I'm sure her body was just amazing. And well, and then you would get yourself in the mental frame of mind and get yourself physically in tune and make sure, you know, antibodies are low. And you would just be, it's like preparing, preparing your home. I mean, people prepare their home for a new baby, but they don't prepare their body to grow this amazing little creature. And Mm -hmm. even then, even then with all the wonderful things you know she did and how how healthy she she must have been, even then she she had... um, Right, right. So it's a a journey. You know, right? We women need to be so supported during that. Yeah, supported during that whole journey. Yeah. That's such a flower field moment, especially with four kids. Well, and a lot of people don't realize that brain development a lot of times is way before you even know you're pregnant. So how scary is that? I mean, scary and amazing and wonderful. I mean, I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but 
you know, your your baby's brain is forming before you ever even realize that you're pregnant. You know? Mm. Uh-huh. I know, right? I know, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> I want to go kiss my kids. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> They're so lucky they came out as good as they did, <laughs> in spite of their mother. I know. Oh, nature. Uh, nature is an amazing thing. <laughs> well, this is our well, Valentine's Day show. What's going on next show. week? What's this that? Is our Valentine's Day. This is our Valentine's Day show. We we covered sex and hormones and libido and all kinds of things. So this is our Valentine's show. Next week is our one year anniversary show. And we have special guests coming on. It's going to be really really cool. Really really excited. Jenna's so, not even um, telling me who's coming on. <laughs> you know that's going to be really like, cool. Oh, she's building the suspense for me. <laughs> I'm really excited. It's going to be really cool. I know. It's going to be really cool. So, um, as always, a very big thank you to our listeners. Um, and, and please share your thyroid fiber um, journey with us. It really helps other people. And it's not it's not about you um thriving per se it's just about the journey that that you're on and what you've been through because that story can help someone else so please 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 share your thyroid fiber story with us at thyroidnation.com and tiffany well speaking of libido and and all of those good things please be sure to check out our new skin and thyroid care line thyroid nation essentials at thyroidnation.com dana and i created this with just love and light for all thyroid thrivers to provide clean, synthetic-free, fabulously simple, beneficial skin care that is tailored with essential oils specifically to help with issues known to thyroid patients, one of them being libido, which is the motivation behind Love Potion. So Love Potion has essential oils, seeing as how this is our Valentine's Day show, essential oils that are designed to stimulate libido and create aphrodisia and And not only that, but more importantly than anything else, to encourage touch, which is so important, right? All of the nerves in our skin and, you know, sometimes we just need some, some, some touching to, to get the, you know, to get the hubba hubba going. (laughs) I do mean that in all seriousness, but it's so true, right? Just to, just to be touched sometimes can be enough to, to stimulate libido. So, Love Potion is amazing, and I personally love that smell. It's one of my absolute favorites. But you can also enjoy products like Brain Awake Inhaler, which helps with cognition and fatigue, Mist Me and Call Me Pretty, which are complexion mists and serum. We're getting a lot of amazing feedback on the Call Me Pretty uh, complexion serum. We have Love Potion, like we mentioned, Counting Sheep, which helps with sleeping. Of course, there's always other things to consider. These are supportive uh, supportive care. Speak your truth, roll on for thyroid and thymus support and botanical mists like I'm your everything and, of course, flower-filled moments, which is our signature Thyroid Nation radio tagline that sort of developed over many shows of being completely resonated, saturated, and and just beautifully overwhelmed with fabulous information. (laughs) But that's really what that is, and it's a wonderful very lovely, floral, uplifting, uh, and of course can also be used as a facial toner. So we hope that you enjoy them as much as we enjoyed creating them and enjoy using them. So check them out and see if there's something there that might sound interesting to you. We we love to, yep. to share love and light with you, right? Yep. And I, I have my flower-filled moments that I use during the show I did my um, Call Me Pretty this morning on my face. I'm just, I'm loving them. I have my nasal inhaler. Uh, 
so I'm I'm a happy camper. So we we just wanted to create something that might uh, be an addition and support of uh, something nice for yourself, for your thyroid and your health. So make sure it's And really, good. honestly, I wanna I wanna just also mention that it's synthetic free. That's super important for endocrine. There's so many endocrine disruptors, and that was a, a huge motivation for Dana and I behind it was to create healthy, beneficial non-interfering, you know, personal hygiene care, uh, because that's huge. Yeah, and and glass bottles, um, you know, most of the products, I know the the inhaler isn't, but the the other products are on glass bottles. Definitely keep, you know, trying to keep the uh, plastic endocrine disruptors out of there, and uh, we've done everything we can to make it nice and lovely and and, uh, beneficial for you, so absolutely. We love them. We hope you do, too. Check I know, out. right? There's a shop button. There's a shop button at thyroidnation.com. You can't miss it. Make sure to follow us on our website, on Facebook. We have a page. We also have a Hashimoto's and Grave support group. We're on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Periscope. You name it, we're there. Right? Yes, we are. We want to. Dan and I always want to remind you that wellness is a journey and takes continual maintenance and evaluation and adjustments and just being truly connected. To yourself, make sure to always listen to your own body and be mindful of what it is telling you, and don't let anybody ever have you disregard that beautiful internal diagnostician that was given to you individually, intentionally, right? Yep. Okay, yep. this is Dana, your th- your thyroid nation, Gringatika from Costa Rica, <laughs> and Tiffany Milan. It's of Grateful Garden, not Biz bringing the collective voice of thyroid thrivers worldwide so that together, united, we heal. Thanks, guys. See you next Happy week. Happy Valentine's Day. Bye. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Go get your hub hub on. That's right. <laughs> uh, Happy Valentine's Day, baby. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs>